Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 91, uh, as my co-host Josh Long, that's me, uh, as he said a moment ago, we are approaching episode 100, but um, at the rate that we're going, <laughs> that will be in, I'm going to say, six months, Okay, maybe right around there, maybe a sure. little less, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so. The big one zero zero. Yeah. And it's interesting because, of course, uh, for my other show, Battleship Retention, because it is a weekly show. Um, we reached episode 100 in under two years, of course. Mm. Uh, more than one lesson has been going since July of 2009, so that's well over four years, and we're just now getting to episode 100, because for a while I was doing like one episode a month. Mm. And then, of course, it should be noted that, uh, yes, as far as official episodes, we, we this is only number 91, but there's a lot of minisodes in there. There's a lot of them. So, you know, you add those up and, and we're we're going to be fine. We're well over well over and i feel like i should say at this point um because uh yes while episode 100 is approaching uh what is approaching quicker is the end of our top 10 lists now we still have several weeks left on that we do um and that's going to start again in a couple of weeks um, after the month of october is after the month of october and uh and so, yeah, I'll, I'll let everybody know now that uh, we are going to start a new series after that because we do want to keep doing this uh, weekly. But as I'm learning, as far as the month of October, doing like full episodes every week is rough. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot of preparation. You got to watch stuff if you haven't seen it. And because we have a companion film, sometimes you got to watch that too. Two movies. And so, uh, so as far as regular episodes i'm comfortable with the every two weeks but i want to have something to fill it in so uh taking our cue from a uh, blog series that uh, that josh uh has been writing for a while um we are going to go through the best picture winners uh i like doing that uh because don't get me wrong i'm the first one to say that the movie that wins best picture is often not the most deserving mm-hmm. um but it, it winds up being a fun snapshot of that year and what people were prioritizing that year and yeah uh, and it's just and it's just very interesting to to go back because at this point i think and we've made the point on this show many times um at this point nobody like a movie winning an oscar means that it will get more exposure and so good for it but by and large, like, Alfred Hitchcock never won a competitive Oscar. Neither did Stanley Kubrick or any number of people. You know, Peter O'Toole has never won one. Richard Burton has never... Like, it's just... It's just kind of the weird how that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so, would anyone say that the, that they are not as good as the people that did win? Of course not. Um, and so... Uh, so, yeah. We could, someone did... I did toy with the idea of, rather than doing 
the the best of pictures, which is the name of your blog series, and will probably be the name of this series. Um, having like like the runners up, in which every year we talk about the movie <laughs> that should have won, uh, and every once in a while you'll run across a year where the best movie in our opinion, did win. Mm-hmm. But then we could still talk about the runner-up because, you know, in the year of No Country for Old Men, you still got There Will Be Blood and you're going to be fine. Yeah. So um, so I did toy with that. And so we might mention it uh, as we talk about the best pictures. But um, I'm sure we'll, yeah, I'm sure it'll come up. I'm sure Sometimes it'll come up. it's unavoidable. <laughs> exactly. I'm looking at you, Dances with Wolves, um, and The English Patient, and Crash. There's a lot of uh, The English Patient. So, um yeah, wait till we get to ninety six, everybody. That'll be yeah. in about three years. So, um, <laughs> also, if you if you if you can't wait until then, there is a blog up about the English patient. Which feel free to read that one. Yes, indeed. Um, but yeah, so I just wanted to let everybody know what uh, what can be expected over the next. Uh, uh, well, I mean, it's not going to happen until probably December or January, but something to look forward to. And in the meantime, uh, when we start up our top tens again, we will, we're in the you know home stretch. We're talking about our top three. Uh, I think I've already. Yeah, I, I talked about number my, three, my yeah. number three, which was Jaws. And so then it's on to your number three, which I believe is Star Wars. Spoilers, everybody. Sorry. So I think so. Yeah, yeah I think it is. Yeah. I kind of like that our number that like our respective number th- numbers three are uh, major Hollywood game changers of the 1970s. <laughs> yeah. So. That's how you know we should host a show together. Yeah, that's how you know. I was on the fence until just now when I realized. Oh, that. that's good. So, but all right, everybody. I got is... the job because the agency sent me over when they saw the uh, the similarities in the. Exact right. Yeah, they were like, but they never oh. told me what the similarities yeah. were. So, yeah, yeah. I didn't that know agency... either. I've just been waiting for one of them to come along, and here it is. So. Yeah, the uh, podcast employment agency. God bless them. They're trying, but they're... it's just not working out. Well, and they're very secretive. <laughs> Right. It doesn't seem like there's any reason. So far, they, uh, they've they had a couple of success stories. They've got their Mark Marins, their mm-hmm. Jimmy Pardos. The rest of us are just basically uh, temps or interns, <laughs> uh, even if we are the ones that started the podcast. So, um, okay. So, we're going to move on. Uh, as mentioned, it is the month of October, Josh. Sure is. As of recording, it is October... Okay, I forgot to wear my watch, <laughs> which, is, which usually has the date on it. I believe it's the 21st. 21st. Today. And I believe this will be going up on the 22nd? That's correct. Um, wow, it's fascinating how quickly this month has gone by. It's almost over. It is almost over. Not a lot of Halloween times left. <sighs> Stock up on those uh, candy pumpkins, everyone. You are the only person in the world that likes those candy pumpkins. Not you true. like candy corn, too, right? I, they're, they're, I like it okay, but I prefer the pumpkins. Oh, okay. Those are better. Don't be wrong. You and I are in lockstep when it comes to Easter candy, but uh, Halloween, we are not. We are not alike. Um, but yeah, and so uh, in keeping with the uh, the theme of this month, we are going to be talking about uh, a movie that has horror trappings, but is not by any stretch a horror movie itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came out this year. Um, I, it seemed like it was longer ago, but I think it came out in uh, like January, February of this year. And it is called Warm Bodies. And it was uh, written and directed by Jonathan Levine, who previously directed the film 5050 mm-hmm. and The Wackness, neither of which I have seen, but I've heard good things about 5050. I haven't seen either. Um, 
and it's based on the novel by Isaac Marion. I have not read that novel, but I'm kind of intrigued. I feel like it would be an interesting book and maybe a humorous one to read. Yeah, yeah, it seems that way. So, um, so for those, and I, I once again, I've forgotten to put a, a summary in my notes here, but uh, essentially, uh, the film takes place uh, after the apocalypse and uh, zom- the zombie apocalypse. The zombie apocalypse, of course, not your regular run-of-the-mill mom and no. pop uh, uh, nuclear apocalypse. war apocalypse. Yeah. By the way, I need to be careful when I say the word apocalypse because I tend to I don't drop the a. I just don't hit it really hard, so it sounds like I'm saying apocalypse, which oh. is adorable. <laughs> it sounds like a five year old saying apocalypse. <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, but yeah, so zombies have taken over the earth, and it the film is told from the point of view of one of the zombies, a guy who's probably in his uh, early to mid twenties whose name is R. He does not remember his full name, but he knows it starts with an R. Uh, he cannot really talk. He, he does all the things a zombie does, but we hear, but his, his thoughts seem to function. Yeah. We, like, we can hear his thoughts and yeah. his thoughts seem like just any regular person person. Yeah. And they're very, and they're very humorous. Uh, mm-hmm. in many ways, the film, uh, kind of goes along with something like a, like a zombie land or something like that where, yeah, you know, you watch any number of zombie movies or, like, currently The Walking Dead, and everything is just so serious. And I understand why. I mean, it's it, zombies or not, it is an apocalyptic film in which, you know, these are apocalyptic stories in which people have lost loved ones and society is crumbling. So, of course, they're going to be serious. Uh, but I'm of the opinion that you can incorporate humor and wit into anything, and that, I think, is what has... What the Walking Dead has been sorely missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, even their better episodes, it's just like, oh man, look, I understand this is serious, but you do realize what you're making here, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's the thing. Even like George Romero made Night of the Living Dead, which was very serious. But then when he made Day of the Dead, you know, he I had zombies sillier. walking through the mall. One of them walking up a down escalator, you know, <laughs> and it was still serious. It was still there were still major ramifications for the characters but mm-hmm. even he recommend like re- recognize like oh yes this can be funny this can be humorous mm-hmm. um and so uh which is why for me zombie land was such a breath of fresh air um i think maybe at times it was a bit too smug um but uh but warm bodies i feel like find something interesting to do with the zombie genre which i think at this point a lot of people maybe even including myself have grown tired of yeah it's been around it's it's i guess it's one of those things in hollywood where it hits as a hot a hot item and everybody's doing it all of a sudden and and then they just tend to overdo it and then everyone's tired of it eventually yeah but uh zombies have have held on longer than i expected to yeah expected them to like World War Z was, it did very well this summer, and people didn't mm. expect it to. Yeah. So, uh, uh, I feel like we're not we're not going to see a whole lot more that people like. I, I think they'll keep coming out for a little while, but I, I'm, I feel like people are starting to get tired. I feel mm-hmm. like what with The Walking Dead, which is a very, regardless of what I might say about it, it's a very popular show. It's very yeah. highly rated. Uh, I feel like that is where people will go because mm-hmm. that is a that's a show that. I'll say this: You will get your zombie fix from that show. The yeah. makeup is wonderful, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I just wish they'd spend a little more time on the dialogue. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I feel like people would watch that, and if something else comes along, 
they'll just be like, ah, I already have The Walking Dead. Yeah. Unless, of course, you get a good director in there, like a Danny Boyle making 28 Days Later or something like that. Yeah. But, um, okay, well, so, oh, go ahead. And they say there are there are trends in film where you, ha- you start to, um, one of the last trends in a genre when it's sort of in is for there to be parody of it. Mm-hmm. And um, this isn't parody per se, but it's it's a twist on the genre, at least, and it's getting closer to yeah. parody. Yeah, the fact um, that there is nothing that is truly horrific yeah. about the film. Um, well, there's eating brains. There, there are things that not, are kind of disturbing. But nothing, nothing's portrayed really as horrific, besides maybe the bonies. Yeah, and, and even... not yeah. that scary. Um, but, uh, but um, what was I going to say about that? Yeah, they... Uh, what they do in kind of doing it from the zombies point of view is new as mm-hmm. far as I can tell. I, I can't call to mind anything else where you're where it's like sort of first person from the zombies perspective. Yeah. Um, so that's an interesting twist on it. And the fact that it's kind of funny too. I mean, it would have to be funny. I think if it was, Oh yeah. If it was first person from the zombies view and it wasn't supposed to be funny, it would be either be just ridiculous in a very, in a very stupid way or, uh, just maybe super dark and depressing or something. Yeah. That would be an interesting thing. That might be interesting. I zombie or something. Zombies inner monologue, but it's just so depressing as one would think it would be if, if a zombie was able to think, um, and the and the film, I mean, it certainly does play with the zombie genre quite a bit. One of the things. Right. So anyway, uh, it's it's about this character R, who uh, one day when he and his uh, zombie cohorts are attacking a a small band of uh, uh, living humans, uh, he happens to spy this uh, young woman, who's the girl of his dreams. Yeah, who is probably also in her uh, uh, early twenties, and so he sees her and catches his and she catches his attention while at the same time her boyfriend is shooting at him and he actually attacks her boyfriend kills him breaks his skull open and starts eating his brains now you don't see all that although you do see him eating the brains and it's not inc- you don't see a lot of blood but you do see the material of brains being yeah eaten. and it kind of hangs on to the brain so throughout the movie he, yeah. he's like eating a little bit more of it something he keeps in his pocket and then yeah. munches on from time to time so there is some grisly concepts going on there but one of the things that i thought was particularly interesting was that uh because i've always wondered what what is it what is it about brains specifically that zombies like it was not in the original romero film in fact it's never been in any of the romero films that they get that they just say brains that that's what they want it's just something that has come about over time probably some you know return of the living dead vaguely parody type movie uh in the 80s that they made it about that. And maybe it's the fact that, like, okay, well, zombies are all about their brain. As long as their brain is functioning, then they will continue moving. So maybe they feel the need to instinctively target other people's brains or something like that. Mm. But what this film does, which I think is very interesting, yeah. is that the characters, uh, the, sorry, the zombies, they are unable to sleep. They're unable to dream. They don't have much imagination. But when they eat somebody's brains, they and they don't have, by the way, and they also don't have a lot of 
their own memories. They don't mm-hmm. remember really who they were, or what their life was like. That's when, what the char- the main character's name is R because he remembers right. that his name starts with an R, but he yeah. can't remember what the rest of his name is. Right. And there's a kind of an amusing little thing where he talks about, I don't remember my parents. I don't remember my job. And he says, he goes, although judging by the hoodie that I'm wearing, I would assume I was unemployed, <laughs> uh, which I thought was funny. Um, but yeah. And so he starts eating. So when they eat, people's brains they actually get some of they get flashes of these people's memories and their and the resulting emotions from those memories and that mm-hmm. sort of thing and so at the same time that he is seeing this girl that is you know that catches his attention he is also eating the bla- the brains of her boyfriend so the combination of those two things suddenly he now really wants to be with her and he winds up in the midst of this zombie attack, he winds up approaching her and doing something to protect her, which basically you've seen in the walking dead where he basically covers her a little bit with blood. And so she no longer smells as though she is still alive. Mm-hmm. And so he takes her back to his, uh, this takes place in an airport. Primarily he takes her back to the, it's where the zombies hang out. They, yeah, they yeah. kind of all live at this airport. Most of the humans live in a, in a like walled up city. Yeah. A se- yeah. A section of the city. And so, so he takes her to his plane, which is essentially his room where he goes and hangs out with the things that he's gathered over the over the span of his zombiedom. And um, and they just get to know each other, and she clearly is like, okay, well, uh, this zombie is not eating me and is making attempts to communicate and that sort of thing. So that's very strange. Uh, and then as the time goes on, he gets more and more human. He's able to talk more. He's able to... Uh, emote a little bit more and then we see that uh, there's a a moment where they hold hands and there's a little x-ray thing and you see that his heart beats i think just once yeah but um it's like the first time yeah that that's happened and so and and then uh you know she gets pressure from her uh her father's like a sort of a military colonel or something like that uh whose job it is to protect the last living living humans from zombies and that sort of thing and so uh so of course when he hears about the budding romance between her and a zombie uh he is having none of it and then of course the other zombies that uh that are is friendly with and as far as that's possible uh, insofar as that's possible um they are they get angry one of them his friend is named M uh, is played by Rob Corddry and there's a scene where he gets angry that R is not trying to eat uh, the uh, woman's name is uh, Julie and so he he gets mad and he goes and he's just saying like no eat you know just like this is we're zombies this is what we do so why aren't you doing this hmm. but slowly but surely uh, all of the zombies that witness the the love uh, or the affection between Julie and R, they themselves start to be affected by that, and they start to become a little bit more human, and their hearts start beating, and all mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So, um, so that's essentially the the story. Um, and so let's let's uh, talk about just the film in general. We've talked about it a little bit as far as the way it subverts certain genre expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked it quite a bit. I thought it was a very in many ways, a very charming, quaint movie that was very adequately made. Um, though it is a comedy and kind of a romantic comedy, um, you know, when you're making a post-apocalyptic film, you need 
there needs to be attention to detail, and I think there is. Mm-hmm. I think he does a good job of creating a world mm-hmm. uh, in which you know society has crumbled. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and I think it's I think it's cut together well. I think it's I think it's shot very well, and it just it seems very dreary as it should. Um, but it's it's odd. The film seems very dreary and yet also very light. It seems somehow appropriate that the guy who directed this is also the guy that made Fifty Fifty, the cancer comedy. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I'll talk about performances in a moment. But just in general, what did you think about uh, you know? technical qualities of the film yeah i enjoyed it i i I think the the script's pretty good it's Mm -hmm. um uh it's clever and it's got good pacing to it it moves you know it moves along without ever slowing down to where it gets to be boring or anything like that um i think there's real there's real danger in it Mm -hmm. for both characters um there's a there's a Romeo and Juliet element that they like to play up every now and then, even yeah. including a balcony scene, which yeah. is kind of funny. Um, so uh, yeah, so that's 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 fun too. Um, yeah, it's a. Uh, I think I liked it more than I was expecting to. I wasn't expecting a whole lot out of it. Yeah. Um, probably a lot of people weren't if it was a January or February release. Right. Um, but but no, it was. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, a number of friends. Uh, a number of my friends who saw the film suggested that we do it for this show. And so it was always on my mind and given the trailer, I was like, Oh, I bet I know why they want me, you know, want us to talk about it. And sure enough that I, I absolutely understand now that I've seen the film. Um, but yeah, and I will say this, that a lot of people, when it came out, a lot of people said, Oh, it's like twilight where you have, in a number of ways you have you know a kind of a supernatural horror quality zombie you know vampires or zombies um in which the male monster uh falls in love with a female human and you know the two of them na- have to navigate the the uh prejudices you know, yeah and the the dicey waters of of that hmm. um and so now, of course, I don't think there's going to be a sequel to Warm Bodies, much less four of them. Um, four of them? Yeah, that's right. They split the last one into two. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but what I, and, and also it's worth noting, uh, Teresa Palmer, uh, who plays Julie, um, I had seen her in the past. I've seen her in a film called, um, I think it's called Take Me Home Tonight. Is the that- one with uh, Topher Grace? Yes. Yeah. I saw that, uh, and the film is that film is only so so but she's very good in it and i made i made specific note at the times like wow she looks so much like kristen stewart <laughs> that i feel bad for her because i thought like kristen stewart is now the bigger star and so mm-hmm. if she goes in for something people will be like well if we wanted kristen stewart we would just get kristen stewart i was thinking that during the movie i was yeah. like she like blonde kristen stewart yeah and so now and now uh she's in this film that does kind of at least in its skeleton, kind of evoke Twilight, and she is the Kristen Stewart role. Mm-hmm. What I will say is that I think she's a better actress than Kristen Stewart. I've seen, not that I think Kristen Stewart is a bad actress. Um, I've seen her in, you know, Snow White and the Hunts- uh, Huntsman. I saw her in uh, Panic Room, and in the and in one of the Twilight movies and uh, and uh, Adventureland. And I think she's a fine actress, but I think Teresa Palmer is better able to embrace, like, you know, display different emotions and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Uh, and so. So I will say that, and and in both cases, you have you know a good-looking 
British actor playing an American character. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot going on, but you and I have seen, we saw Twilight. Uh, we, we sure did. With friend of the show, Jason Aiken, several years ago. Um, we did, uh, yes, make fun of it. Um, it's hard not to. It is hard not to. It, uh, it, it serves itself up for that. It's one of those films where I, it would be painful to me if I had to sit and not joke at the movie. Right. And that's the thing. You know, I was talking earlier about, like, you know, a lot of zombie movies being incredibly self-serious. And it's like, well, and you can't make... And even though Warm Bodies is in many ways quite silly, by acknowledging its silliness... Right. It's like, well, you can't make fun of it because it's already aware of itself. Right. Whereas Twilight seems like, I mean, it, it's like a it's like a soap opera, but less self-aware. Yeah. Well, Warm Bodies uses the silliness to its advantage. It yeah. says, okay, this is kind of a silly concept. We're going yeah. to it's going to be a comedy. Maybe that's what the book is. Maybe that's why that yeah. happens. Um, I, I'm not. Again, I think neither of us are familiar with the book at all. But. Uh, but with Twilight, that's never the case. But it's not a whole lot less silly. There's yeah. a scene with vampires playing baseball. Like, <laughs> that's a real thing. I'm not making that up. <laughs> yeah, and it's oh, and it's like a scene out of like a bad X-Men movie. <laughs> there was like, a, oh, look at all their mutant powers. Uh, last night, I went to a, a screening of The Mummy, which was preceded by a, a live-action performance of The Thrilling Adventure Hour, which is a... a, a a podcast that's kind of like an old timey radio show has a has different stuff, and um, the some of the cast stayed afterwards to talk about horror movies. Not the cast of the Mummy; they are all dead. Yeah. Um, but or uh, are they? <laughs> question horror. mark. Um, but they were talking. They got to talking about Twilight a little bit somehow in the in the discussion of horror, and uh, they were joking about a scene from um, <laughs> from Twilight about how, in theory the Edward character is is like the bad boy, but they were talking about a scene where a bunch of thugs are about to beat up Christian Stewart, and he, like, pulls up in a Volvo. He was like, <laughs> a Volvo, the safest car on the planet. And, like, she gets in, and he reaches over and buckles her seatbelt. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> almost as if they were to say, see, see, fathers, this is the sort of man you want your daughters to have. It does um, kind of have that quality. It, it does. Yeah. And, and I mean, when then you remember, and this is something they were saying last night, too, it's the, the intended audience is 13 to 15-year-old girls, probably. Yeah. Um, so that's, that. hey, that works perfect for them. Do you, who do you, whom do you think the uh, intended audience of Warm Bodies is? Because it is a romance. Like, it's not purely comedy. Like, there are romantic yeah. elements to it. But the romance is not, I mean, it's not the type of romance that typical male viewers dislike yeah um because they're you know that they, they do enough of the of the character development and they do enough justice to the romance that it works that it doesn't seem forced or anything like that but there's not as much of a focus on that because they have to focus on these other elements the supernatural elements the right. danger elements all that stuff so it that allows it to not be purely a romance um, again, not that that's a bad thing, but right. might that may give it a wider appeal. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I don't know if there's a specific target audience to it. It just seems like it's you're just your 18 to 35 year old people. Yeah. I think it's men and uh, women equally. I think I, I tend to, let me ask you, let me get your opinion on this. I tend to respond 
well to movies that don't have an obvious intended audience. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, not not to say that like it's so lowest common denominator that it appeals to everyone, but mm-hmm. that like it can't be summed up like okay, this clearly is shooting for this. That one is it's like this is for middle aged women. That one is for teenage men. That mm-hmm. is for this. Like where it doesn't. Well, not that not like it seems like it's for everybody, but in some ways it seems like it's for nobody specific. Yeah. Well, that would make sense because I mean the. The ones that are for a particular audience, there's not a whole lot of those that are for you as the audience, you know? Like, you particularly probably don't fit into a lot of the categories that they make specific movies for, and oftentimes when they do, they're kind of pandering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because um, what would you say is your... If you had to name yourself as a demographic to which movies are marketed, where would you put yourself? Besides, like, an obvious, you know, males 18 to 35. Right. Uh, let's see. Uh people that really like character driven drama yeah see that <laughs> that in it's other not words it's not it's not one i um, mean maybe i don't know i don't know it's hard to say yeah hmm. i mean you're you're you are into comic book things more than some people so you might fit into that genre yeah the people who who like superhero comic book movies um that that certainly doesn't define you as a movie watcher, but you you might that might be a category in which you could fit, and and I guess so. But even then, like underneath that, it needs to be a good one. Yeah, you know that's and I think I, there are probably some people who are just happy. It's like oh, I get to see Green Lantern on screen, um, yeah. and you know what? Here's the thing: there might be nobody. I I don't mean to set up a straw man. There might literally be nobody saying that. <laughs> um, it certainly seemed to be that way uh, based on the box office of uh, Green Lantern. Uh, yeah, so to move on uh, to some of the other elements of Warm Bodies, uh, and we, I already talked about uh, Teresa Palmer a little bit. Uh, Nicholas Holt, who plays R, uh, I've been a fan of his for a while. Uh, he was the boy in About a Boy. Um, did you ever see that with uh, Hugh Grant? I did. I didn't uh, recognize him since he's considerably older. Yes. Uh, and I've seen him in other things. I've seen him in, uh, oh, shoot. X-Men First Class. Oh. And and I feel like I've seen him in a number of other things as well. Oh, I saw him in an ep- episode or two of uh, Skins. Oh, okay. Which was uh, a British uh, series. They went on to make it uh, an American series on MTV. Uh, and from what it sounds like, they trashed it up quite a bit. Uh, but uh, but he was very good on that. I liked, I liked him in that, um, even though I didn't keep watching the show. Um, and so... I feel like he's just, I'm very happy, I'm always happy when like a child actor actually manages to break out and, and do something. I'm mm-hmm. excited that Freddie Highmore, uh, uh, an actor that I took note of in Finding Neverland, where he's wonderful, uh, that he is playing Norman Bates and apparently playing him quite well in uh, Bates Motel, that mm-hmm. television show that I've not seen. <laughs> but um, And he looks a lot like him too, it's really weird. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've seen any images, but he's got that kind of gawky thing uh, that uh, Anthony Perkins had. But uh, but yeah, I'm very happy happy that uh, Nicholas Holt played R and played the humor while also playing. You know, I believe that he was a, a, that he was a zombie. He had the the shuffle down. He had the kind of the dead eyed stare and and just he reminded me a lot. If if you've never seen Day of the Dead, right? You've seen Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, but yeah. I don't think you saw the third one. I don't think so. In the third one, there's a, a zombie named Bub. And Bub is kept in a lab for experiments, and uh, this uh, crazy scientist uh, is, like, t- 
teaching Bub things. Now they're all very small, and Bub has a perpetual confused look on his face. Um, but the character does have actual feelings. It's it's by far the most intriguing element of the film. Uh, and so, and he's played by a real. Not to imply that people who play zombies in the background are not real actors, but this guy, his name was Howard Sherman, or Sherman Howard. I can't get a straight answer on that, Internet. Uh, it's very strange. It's weird. Um, but he uh, he went on to be on an episode of, uh, of Seinfeld, and he's been in a number of things. You've pr- you would probably recognize him if you saw him, but he they brought in like an actual like theater actor who is not allowed to say any lines and he just really emotes and plays the feelings underneath this character who is unable to process really anything mm. and i was reminded of that character when i saw the way nicholas holt played r especially like when he's confused and his eyes go wide and he kind of looks like a, a little kid trying to process something that he will never be able to process because of what he is and so uh, I really, I really responded to that character and little things like little touches of makeup where the character has a lot of scars on his face, oh, yeah. and you're not really sure where he got them. But you notice that a lot of the zombies have scars on their faces, and you're not sure where they got them. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the what a zombie's ability to heal looks like <laughs> um, when you're also rotting all the time. But uh, but I liked him quite a bit. I thought Rob Corddry was great as am is it's supporting yeah. role he's primarily humorous but i thought he did a good job um yeah he's humorous but he does have a few like heartfelt moments too yeah. which is cool yeah because you don't i feel like you didn't need that but it, it does add to the movie i think and then i also wanted to specify um dave franco who plays uh julie's boyfriend that uh, gets eaten by R. And by the way, like that's kind of a gutsy move Yeah, to have our main character kill and eat this guy and then go out with this guy's girlfriend, basically. <laughs> like, it's it's pretty rough. It certainly does not uh, endear us to the character, especially yeah. because when he starts, uh, you know, reliving some of uh, Dave Franco's memories, uh, we see that Franco is actually like a full, he's allowed to be a full fledged character. We see, uh, him like fall in love with her and they're very lighthearted. But then we see that like he sees his zombified dad and is like heartbroken and by that. And just, we're allowed to see that character. And I think of Dave Franco as a, as a, primarily comedic actor and he actually is not given a lot of funny things to do but he still manages to play the role very well um i like i like dave franco a lot i've seen him in uh, a handful of things uh i saw but i saw him in 21 jump street and thought he was really great in that um and then oh (laughs) and then i saw him in a video on funny or die that i will not uh, recommend on this show i'll recommend (laughs) it on battleship pretension though um so yeah, uh, just in general, I think the cast does a very good job of conveying the weight of everything while not while also that's that's the thing is playing the weight of the situation while also being able to pull off the humor. Yeah, that is a very thing to do, a very hard thing to do. Um, so yeah, just in, so w- we should move on because I want to try and keep this uh, episode short. Um, but yeah, just in general, I, I want to say, if you haven't seen Warm Bodies, for whatever reason, maybe it looked too much like Twilight, maybe it looked too uh, gimmicky and cutesy and all that, um, give it a watch. It's it's a fairly short film. It moves 
pretty quickly. Um, and it's uh, and it's just a, it was pleasurable. It was a pleasurable film yeah. to watch. Uh, so one of the things. So we'll move into the theme a little bit, and then we'll move into the companion film. So as stated, uh, people for months have been saying that I that we should talk about this on the show. And when you see it, you're like, okay, I got it. And it's the idea, the, the central theme of the film is the idea that love can transform a person. It can make love ends up being the cure for yeah. a zombie. And there's and there's also a nice little uh, thing where um, it doesn't spend a lot of time on this, but not unlike Romero's Dawn of the Dead, where you see zombies walking through the mall and they don't look that different than people walking through the mall just yeah. kind of shuffling along just looking around and you know in kind of a daze mm-hmm. um and so the film has just a little tip of the hat to that by uh, r has a flashback to what the airport would have looked like before the apocalypse and it's like all people on their phones yeah, and everybody's shuffling you know slowly looking down at their phone and that sort of thing and it's like okay that's funny it's that same kind of yeah like you said the commentary that we see in the romero films and that that is kind of kind of cool but then that you know adds on to the overall theme which is uh you know maybe maybe love is something that can transform people from being like that you know not just from being a zombie or, or from something bad to something good yeah but from a state of being uh, numb and unfeeling. Yeah, exactly. Kind of wandering through your life because that's the way he yeah. describes himself, both as a zombie, but kind of you get the feeling of maybe he was that beforehand, yeah. Um, yeah. not having any kind of aim or purpose. Yeah. So the the that becomes the theme of the film as well. That that uh, love can take you away from a, a an existence that is aimless yeah. and. Um. Yeah, and I thought that was a nice move, and I like that they didn't hit it too hard. It was, yeah, it was there so long enough to get it, and then we moved, and then we were able to move on. Um, but the idea that love is transformative and that love is infectious because it's not merely R mm-hmm. that starts to change. You know, uh, M and and several other zombies they see what R and Julie have, and suddenly they long for that. I do like that, that it isn't that each zombie had to, like, experience love personally. It wasn't like someone has to love that zombie, and then they would start to change, but they would just see the love between R and Julie, and that would stir something in them. That was a a good touch. And so, uh, so obviously, what we're going to be talking about is, you know, the transformative power of love. Um, You know, as we all know, uh, there is, you know... There is a lot of power in love, as told to us by Huey Lewis and his buddies, the News. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's just—I want to be careful here. Because, well, eh, I'm not going to be careful. I'm Throw just, caution to the wind. It's going to be bold. Do it. It's a Christian show. Um, so obviously, in the film, it's love between two people, and certainly, uh, you know, love between you and another person. That can be re- remarkably transformative. I, I know that, you know, in my marriage, I feel like it has been when you have somebody who sees who you are or what you are and they choose to be with you and they and, and they like being with you. Um, you know, that is quite tremendous. And, you know, the idea that there's a, a woman who <laughs> sees a zombie that, by the way, eats her boyfriend 
uh, and she still wants to be with him. Like, I can't imagine anything more inspiring or uh, emboldening than than that for the character of R, you know. And so, uh, so I, what I want, but so other people's love and encouragement and acceptance and forgiveness, uh, that can certainly uh, change us as people. But, you know, since this is the show that it is, I want to talk about, you know, God's love and the nature of it. Um, I will read a couple of, uh, of quotes here. Um, there's a quote from R in which he says, you can't be whatever you want. All I'll ever be is a slow, pale, hunched over, dead-eyed zombie. What did I think was going to happen? It's hopeless. This is what I get for wanting more. I should just be happy with what I had. Things don't change. I need to accept that. It's easier not to feel. Then I wouldn't have to feel like this. And of course, I'm sure a number of us feel like that for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, we've been heartbroken we've lost people you know things that we thought were very important uh get taken away from us somehow and the pain is so overwhelming that we just we don't want that anymore and so Mm -hmm. we do kind of maybe numb ourselves a little bit and like a rock like an island one could say that yes (laughs) if i never loved i never would have cried I really long for the sound of silence uh, right now, <laughs> coming from your microphone. Zing. Watch out. Um, Graceland. <laughs> um, that's a solo album. Please. Hmm? What are you talking about? I don't are we know. talking about music? Oh. Album. Album what? Oh, my. Okay. This is awkward. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and so uh, the if you look through the Bible, you will see constant references to transformation and the idea that you know as i've said in my testimony episode the idea that god knows what we are um and we knows and he knows what we've done and he loves us anyway now other people have said that that is a very uh, comforting idea it, it comforts me other people have said that's a very negative idea that's like god knows what you are and, and certainly in some churches there really is an emphasis on the crappiness of us mm-hmm. and while i think it is important to recognize that human beings can be you know are selfish and and that sort of thing um sometimes i think there might be an overemphasis on that yeah um but you know each church will have a, a different take on things and, and that's yeah. fine but and each um, person has a different uh, the way that you approach this and the way that that you feel about this depends on the way that you feel about yourself right right um and so and the idea is like we're not looking to like bring anybody down but that's the thing is if you're listening to this whether you are a christian or not i want you to think of every like the things you've done that you are ashamed of and you are probably ashamed of something i don't know what it is but you do And what I'm saying is God does as well. And this thing that you are convinced, if you told somebody this, they would at the very least look at you differently from then on. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that is what I'm talking about. I'm not saying like, oh, you're, you know, I'm not comparing you to a murderer or anything like that. Although, of course, that's the other thing is once we start comparing one sin to another, that's when we start being like, well, I mean, I'm not as bad as that guy. It's like, right. yeah, okay, when you start thinking like that, you start thinking you don't need God or you don't need forgiveness at all. Right. And that's why the Bible emphasizes that uh, no sin is worse than, than another. 
But, uh, but what I will say is just think of the things that you are that you don't want to be and that you wish you had not done and that nobody knows but you. Or maybe some people know and they left you alone as a result. Uh, God knows that. He's not leaving you alone. He loves you in spite of that and embraces you despite that. You know, I, I imagine uh, images of like a dirty... I'm sorry to put it this way, like a dirty, filthy, smelly, like homeless person. And then somebody who's like squeaky clean comes up and hugs them. And it's like, oh, you're like my first thing. Like, you are going to get so dirty and smelly. You look so freshly polished. That suit just came from the cleaners. Yeah. And so and that I think is is that's how I think of God is he's constantly embracing us in spite of how smelly we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and. You know, and for you, maybe that is encouraging. Maybe that's inspiring. For me, it is this idea that I am loved. It's that is the idea that brought me in that that made me officially embrace Christianity. This idea that because I was of the under the impressions like, well, certainly, yes, God may love me, but he certainly doesn't like me. And Mm -hmm. because he knows these things and he just and he he hates those things and I did them. So surely he must hate me sort of. and so when you have somebody who loves you, you do find yourself wanting to be worthy of that love. And though we are never going to be worthy, it does make us better. It makes us aspire to more. And we become just better people precisely because we know we're never going to be the best. It's It seems counterintuitive to me. Hmm. Um, so I've been talking about kind of some rather lofty subjects. Do you have anything to contribute to this aspect of the conversation? Um, no. Okay. No. <laughs> All right. Um, I don't know. You were sort of on a train there. I didn't feel like there was a moment to, that I needed to break in exactly, but... Um, and we can move on to the companion. There's a lot of a lot more things to to read and get through here, so we can talk to, about the companion film if you like. Um, I guess I could just real quick say, like, I mean, some of it is is what you've already said, but the um, I like yeah, it. Like, you, I like it when you agree with me on air. So if you want to do that, that's fine. I'll just say whatever you said and <laughs> yes, ditto. <sir>. <laughs> May I have a treat? Um. But yeah, the uh, the film doesn't doesn't intend obviously a uh, for us to look at this as Christian love or the love of God. But um, if we are Christians and do believe that, as the Bible teaches, that God is love, then um, any love that we feel for another human, any love that is between humans, is only something that we get because of God, only something that exists because we are made in God's image and is only uh, is really only a, a kind of a pale shade of what God's love is. Mm-hmm. Um, so as Christians, when we look at this and and if we look at this a film like this, see this message and embrace that, the message of uh, of you know love can change a life love can be transformative um we we do i do believe that love between people can can change someone can transform someone can can uh you know 
change your life as it were um and i believe that in the same way god's love can transform your life that much more right because it's that much bigger than interpersonal love yeah like if my if my marriage can make me a better person which i think it has um certainly i'm not perfect but if my marriage can make me a better person and we have entire seasons where we are just not on the same page we're arguing easier uh each of us is being a bit more selfish but then sometimes like if that can be transformative and it's as uneven as it is how much more will a genuinely perfect unfailing love change you yeah it's just it's the difference between a love between two flawed people and love between a flawed person and a perfect person yeah that one would be better. Yeah. Um, I did want to, before we transition into the, uh, the companion film, uh, I did want to emphasize one thing that I, that I, uh, that I wanted to briefly touch on is the idea is as we were talking about this film as an analogy for God's love, um, it's worth noting that it's not a situation where, um, actually, you know what? I'm not going to say that. I'll just say that, uh, what is a zombie? It is essentially an animal in that it is pure instinct. Hmm. It is just, it lives to, it lives to eat Hmm. and that's it. Um, and it just, and it can't be stopped unless it is killed. Mm -hmm. Um, but you cannot, you know, uh, I keep in my mind, I keep getting flashes of like, okay, it's just an eating machine. It's like, no, that's Jaws. <laughs> it's like, it can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. Oh, wait, no, that's the Terminator. Uh, like, I keep thinking of all these phrases. But um, it's just, it's pure instinct, you know, and it can't be argued with. And so the idea that uh, that love takes these this thing that is pure instinct, and instinct often means selfishness Mm -hmm. it is the instinct for survival it is the instinct for dominance it is the instinct for me Mm -hmm. and so love runs counter to that yeah you know instinct says hey there's a pretty girl i think i'm going to kill her and eat her brains (laughs) okay look we've all fought it (laughs) uh like that's instinct but then love says i want to protect Mm -hmm. even though a Everything inside R wants to do this thing. Mm-hmm. And also, there's, you know, pressure from the world that he lives in that says, no, eat. That's what you do. That's yeah. what we do. He stands so to lose a lot more than he does to gain. Yeah. In, uh, in zombie terms, at least. Yeah. And so, that's one of the things that I want to talk about is that, like, you know, love doesn't merely make us, like slightly better but it runs counter to everything we want to be yeah instinctively um and so i will now transition into the companion film which is uh disney's beauty and the beast came out in 1991 um directed by gary truesdale and kirk wise and written by like 10 guys so as those old disney movies tended to be Mm. and so not that it's that old but i guess it is 22 years old now um but uh now it's it's always weird when i when i choose like a disney film as a companion film but first off beauty and the beast works really well for this companion film um but also i mean this was a movie this was it was gene siskel's 
top pick for that that year. Said it was the best movie of the year. Um, it was up until they branched out and they started and they went beyond five nominees for best picture. Uh, be it was the only film, the only animated film to be nominated for best picture. Yeah, it lost to Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> I can't imagine. It's like who's on the who's like okay, what do I choose? I'm so on the fence between this gruesome, gory crime thriller or this wholesome animated film. Um, if you if you were to know beforehand that we were doing a podcast about zombies, you know, a zombie movie, and then we're like, a com- the companion film is a movie that was. Best Picture nominee from 1991. You'd yeah. be like, all right, eating people. Silence of the Lambs. Got it. Yes. Yes. Um, but you'd be wrong. You would be absolutely wrong. Uh, Beast never eats anyone, though. It seems like he should. It seems like he should. But he, you know, he scares people. He's, he just scares he, them he's off. He's beastly. Yeah. Um, he holds people prisoner. That's no... That's, uh, <laughs> that's no walk in the park. Yeah. That's no mean feat. Um, uh, the film won Best Original Score and Best Original Song. Uh, three of its songs were nominated. And it was also nominated for Best Sound and, as I said, Best Picture. Uh, chances are you've seen it. You know the story. It is what we're talking about. It is this, you know, big, frightening, furry beast who didn't start out that way. He was turned that way as a function of his inner selfishness. He was like this good-looking prince. Uh, and then uh, the idea was he then looks like looks on the outside how he is on the inside and mm-hmm. so he just gets angrier and angrier and um and he has and basically the only way that uh that he can break the spell is to uh not merely to love somebody else but to get somebody to love him as well mm-hmm. um and so uh you know then bell comes along and and they're starting to make progress but it's just he in many ways he's he's pretty far gone emotionally there's a there's a line that i wrote down here where he says i'll never be anything but a monster it's hopeless which rem- which sounds a lot like the line from r that i read in which he's mm-hmm. just saying i you know things don't change i need to accept that all i'll ever be is a slow pale hunched over dead-eyed zombie um and that's the thing is you know, Christianity is the it, it, people would say that religion in general is about hope, and that's and that's fine. Uh, you know, I think probably a lot of them. I, I know that a lot of a lot of other religions do bring hope to people. So I don't mean to say that like we've got the monopoly on hope or anything, but it is like that is what it is. And if you look at Jesus, you know, his ministry, he was constantly going out to people that society were saying you are hopeless. Mm-hmm. You are basically a monster. I mean, think about it. Like a zombie's not that different than a leper when you, you know, like yeah. they're rotting, they're falling apart. No one wants to touch them. Uh, and then, you know, you get tax collectors and I want to emphasize again, tax collectors. It may seem like not that big of a deal, but they were horrendously corrupt. It's, I believe we said it was like a Bernie Madoff, like Jesus. Yeah. Imagine Jesus came back and he's like, all right, I'm seeing, I'm going to Madoff's house. And I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Um, and so, uh, so he gave hope to the truly hopeless, mm-hmm. um, and in doing so, and then of course he went to people that societally speaking were not hopeless people that had plenty of money and said, no, you're no better mm-hmm. in many ways. And in fact, in many ways you have less hope than these people because you put a lot of faith in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. He was he was quite he, he was an equalizer and he gave hope to those that 
I'm sure would say, I'll never be anything but a monster. I'll never be anything but a prostitute. I'll never be anything but a leper. You just yeah. categorizing themselves as just losers completely. Yeah. And then he comes along and says, no, you're not that you are loved beyond all measure. Um, and so, uh, I, I've got a few quotes here. Um, a few verses. The first will be Romans 12, verse 2, which I'm sure people are aware of. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Good and acceptable and perfect is what I wanted to focus on there, because that is indeed what God is. He is good, acceptable, perfect. Mm-hmm. And that is not what we are. I don't, when again, once again, I don't want to emphasize that we are just crap. We are loved, which... At that moment, because we are loved by God, we are inherently lovable. Yeah. And so I don't want to say that we are valueless or anything. Right. We're valueless and that God doesn't need us, but he wants us. And thus we have tremendous value. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but that's the thing is somebody that is good, acceptable, and perfect loves us so much that we are, we can be transformed mm-hmm. into something, you know, from what we are. In, into something better. Uh, and then there's a quote here by no less than Martin Luther King Jr. Take that. And it is, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend, which actually kind of uh, brings in last week's uh, episode about yeah. uh, Paranorman. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, we talk about, I mean, the Bible is constantly saying, like, you know, love your, you know, love your enemies. And yes, okay, heap. Uh, coals on them by loving them (laughs) but basically saying like hey i i loved you so you can love them because love more so than anything like you can punch your enemy and you might scare them away but they will always be your enemy Mm -hmm. and in fact you might have at that point cemented that they will always be your enemy (laughs) but if you love them i mean think of all the think of just the sheer number of movies in which like there's a bully or there's just a jerk, and then somebody shows them an ounce of kindness, and suddenly... It just changes yeah. who they are. They, they don't feel like they have to do the things they did anymore. Cause, yeah. I don't know. The, there's a... I don't know if that's going too much to another topic, but that's the idea that you a bully feels like they need to be mean to prove something, or to like beat somebody, or to be on top, or something like that, and... Um, love says you don't you don't need to do any of those things. And I guess that does kind of come back to the topic in terms of Christianity in that we we are like the bullies in feeling like we have to prove something or we have to do something to make ourselves worth anything. We have to make ourselves a value. value. A bully has to show that he's strong to show that yeah. he, I, am, I am worth something because I'm the strongest. I'm worth something because I, I'm stronger than you or I can beat you up. Yeah. Um, or, the same, and speaking from personal experience, it's this idea, it's like, I do not feel like a winner in any way. Hmm. So I, but I can win this. Right. I can make, by making you feel worse, I guess I win. Right. And that's, and then if all we win, I've got, if we win, that gives us value. Yeah. But God instead says like, no, I, I love you whether you are the biggest loser and even if you're the biggest loser in the world. Yeah. Um, not from the TV show. Although uh, that, like, he, no, no he, he does not love those people. Oh, wow. I'm saying. Right. oh wow. This took a turn. <laughs> Just kidding. Which brings us to the ultimate point of this episode. <laughs> um, uh, but no, so then, yeah, like you said, God, in loving us, transforms us from being people who have to prove something, who have to uh, 
do something on our own who have to have to win have to make ourselves worth loving um by saying no i i love you even if by any other standard imaginable you are not worth loving and i will which is kind of what the zombies are in the movie too oh yeah who would love a zombie not me not me there you go i mean i walked with a zombie once that's the name of a movie that i haven't seen but i know that title um yeah and uh, i will once again reference one of my favorite sermons of all time uh by tim keller it is called the man the king delights to honor it is all about noted biblical villain haman uh the villain of the book of esther and it base and there i'd never heard a sermon on one of the most hated people in the bible um but uh, and it's basically all about his desperate desire to be approved of and loved, and how oddly enough, this thing, which is a perfectly natural and understandable instinct, we all want to be loved, we all we all want to be found acceptable. Uh, this drove him to to uh, embark on mass genocide. <laughs> you know, like. It can turn you into a monster. Mm. This desire to be first, you know, and yeah. be dominant, and, and that sort of thing. And and it was interesting uh, the way that uh, Keller says it. He says he didn't ask for the wrong thing. He asked. I, I don't. I don't know if he was trying to rhyme, but he said he didn't ask the wrong thing. He asked the wrong king. You know, and so. Uh, I will post to the sermon. I've posted it on the website before. Uh, I've referenced it several times. It is. I listen to it once a year because it it always convicts me because I'm somebody who desperately wants the approval of others. Uh, don't yet know if we've been nominated for a podcast award, everybody. <laughs> Start leaving those iTunes comments. <laughs> that is true. I, just in general, uh, it would be nice if we've been, we've been hanging right around 50 uh, iTunes comments for a while. So if you felt like saying anything nice, that would be nice. Um, okay. So we're talking about trans, you know, transformation and trans, you know, the transformative properties of love. Um, and so we've got a couple of, uh, couple of quick, uh, verses to read. Let's, uh, I've been reading too much here, Josh. Just too much. You read uh, Galatians there. All right. This is Galatians two twenty. Um, for some reason I thought we had wrote, read Romans two twenty also. And I was going to be like, that's weird, but it's not. So never mind. Anyway, here it is, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Um, And then... That's a transformation. Yes, very much so. I mean, that's... And since we're talking about characters who have died... Mm -hmm. You know, as we're talking about the zombies here, we're talking about characters who have died and then slowly, one could say, are kind of born again, though yeah. they do not become, you know, they're not children. Right. But they have to, they become human again. And so they, there is a rebirth. There's a new life. Yeah. They, it is no longer they who live. Second uh, Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Uh, I like that because it is actually a very, it's, I think it's meant to give us confidence and boldness it's it's not saying like it's saying like all these things that you used to be that maybe you're concerned about maybe becoming again or Mm -hmm. whatever even if it's something that you delve back into from time to time like you are a new creation you are not that thing anymore um and there's a line it's one of the last lines of of warm bodies where uh julie is talking to r about his name 
and he decides, you know, I just kind of like R. I don't know what my old name was, and I think I'm just, I'm good with this new name. And she says, you don't want your old life back? And he says, no, I want this one. And I don't know why, but as I just said that, I was overcome with emotion. I don't know. <laughs> that's very strange. But yeah. it's that idea of like, I want this this new one. And yeah. I will make I will make an analogy that I've made several, uh, that I think I've made on this show before, but I haven't in, in a long time. All right. Uh, Non-Christians, listen up. Uh, so, because this might, this is something, that's the thing, non-Christians, they probably can't relate to the conversion experience. Mm, yeah. But we've all had a conversion experience about something. That's true, yeah. And what I, and this is what I've, when talking to Christians, I use the conversion to Christianity as an analogy for liking good movies. <laughs> to non-Christians, I talk about liking good movies in compared to Christianity. <laughs> so what I'll say is, I love movies but i love specifically good movies now other people have said well tyler in fact you know my my dad said this my my mom has said this old friends have said this They're like well can't you just enjoy a movie anymore it's like if it's good i can enjoy it mm-hmm. there's a lot of bad out there but i can enjoy the good but here's the thing as strange as it may sound and yes i am more discerning i am more discriminating now so there are fewer things that i like but i like them so much more mm-hmm. and i can't go i couldn't go back if i tried yeah you know as much as i loved Billy Madison. You know what? There's still some funny things in Billy Madison, but by and large, it's not that good. Happy Gilmore. That's a good one. By which I mean a good example of something I don't like. Um, thought it was great when I was a kid, although that is kind of the thing. That and Wedding Singer is what kicked me into like, I think I'm going to watch some some other things now. But like as much as I liked, you know, Ace Ventura and all that, when I was a kid, uh, I only liked it to a certain point. Now, yeah, now that I hold myself to a higher standard and I've been transformed by watching amazing films and and I've been challenged by them. They've required me to grow, Mm -hmm. which is a painful experience sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, yeah, I can't go back and enjoy Ace Ventura the way I used to, but the things I can enjoy, not only are they just better for me, but I can enjoy them on a level that that the person who loves Ace Ventura would never be able to enjoy that. And yes, I recognize it sounds like I'm, you know, crapping on people that may like Ace Ventura. But thankfully, my guess is if you're listening to this show, uh, you're kind of like this. <laughs> um, and that's the thing is like it's I don't want to go back to that old life of movie watching. Mm-hmm. So when people say, well, you can't just, you know, you can't enjoy it anymore. It's like. It's not, I can't, it's like if somebody, I mean, people have talked about it before. Like if you spend your whole life in a dark cave and you go out into the light, it's like, yes, your eyes are strained and it's probably warmer and all that kind of thing. It's in many ways, it's less convenient, but you can also see things so much more clearly and you can see the world and it's a, it's a feast of, Mm. of, you know, a feast for the senses. Um, and yeah, you're probably not going to want to go back to your cave. And people say, but the cave and just like, no, have you, you're latching onto the wrong thing. And so that is what I want to say to any non-Christians listening, talking about this transformative experience. People would say like, Oh, well not, you know, Christians like they don't do this. They don't do that. And it's like, no, we don't. I don't drink. Not that, you know, Josh does drink. Uh, I and don't, how? and oh my gosh, I mean, there are so many bottles on this table right here. Um, but like, 
But like Josh drinks and it doesn't it doesn't bother me. But like I don't drink for reasons of my own, and some would say like, well, you and I and I've certainly never been drunk, uh, and people would say like, oh well, f- come on, like why mm-hmm. is that a? And it astounds me that even people in their twenties and thirties have this attitude that strikes me as a very 18, 19 year old attitude. <laughs> yeah. But, um, well, but we, to me, we live in LA too. So that's, well, that's probably enough. part of it. Uh, and so, so what I want to say is just like, yeah, I guess I don't do that. But in times of tremendous sadness and melancholy and hopelessness, which I am prone to have, the thing that gets me out of it is the fact that I am loved. And sometimes, as I said before, sometimes that's barely enough. Mm. It should be more than enough, but for me, it's barely enough, but it is enough. It is indeed sufficient, to use a biblical word. Mm. Um, and it's like, and so if I have to, for myself, if I have to sacrifice drunkenness for that, then so be it. And I think I've made, frankly, I think I've made the better choice. Mm-hmm. It's like, if I can't enjoy Ace Ventura, but I can love Nashville... I think I've made the better choice. <laughs> yeah. And that's, so like in my movie watching, I feel like that has been a transformative experience. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have, do you have like any analogies or anything or like any further thoughts about this specific topic? I knew I kind of sprung it on you. I didn't intend well, on going that far. No, that's right. And that specific analogy, I thought a little, I thought a little bit of food. I mean, that doesn't apply for you as much, which is why I didn't necessarily bring it up, but um, if something, if people need something else that they can connect to that a little better, it's, um, well, you know, you, you could, let's say with, uh, you just came back from Switzerland mm-hmm. and, uh, what was one of the great foods you had over there? Right. Some chicken strips. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything that Switzerland is known for more so than chicken strips? <laughs> Not that I can think of. <laughs> Well, I had some chocolate over there. There you go. Yeah. And uh, we actually had a conversation about that, about how like it's it's something different yeah. and it's something better. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if you were if you were given the choice between the two, you you, of course, now would pick the uh, the Swiss chocolate. And yes, some, very much so. And, and people might say, well, look, what about Snickers bars? And you'd be like, well, it's like, yeah, they're all well and good. That's come on. That's something. But this is something better. Yeah. Um. And so, yeah, I guess that that just kind of outlines that hopefully for people outlines what we're talking about in terms of a transformative experience where you have you have found something that you can say. This is better this way, like I can I can from my experience and from what I get from this and from what I know about this, um, I know that it's better this way and from the outside it doesn't it doesn't seem better and i'm sure to some uh, to some non-christians this may sound like kind of an arrogant thing like we're saying you're the one who's living in a cave when you could be outside um and we we don't mean that to sound as if we think you're stupid or 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 something like that but one of the reasons that we talk about things like this on on this podcast is because we feel like we have stumbled across something yeah um by no you know by no goodness of our own by no yeah. like quality of our own um that we want other people to know about we want other people to be able to experience it yeah um so we we feel like we've been given this gift in discovering something great 
and we don't want other people. Like, we really believe that it is that much of a difference between a Snickers bar and Swiss chocolate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, that, that seems kind of small <laughs> in light of the whole thing, but but it is, you know, it's that big of a difference. And so we want people to know, like, that this could be so much better. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. That's... Yeah. And that's the thing is, you know, it, it, it when it comes right down to it, I'm of the opinion, don't get me wrong, I know plenty of, I know plenty of atheists and just non-Christians in general, like people who don't believe anything, uh, anything spiritual, who live perfectly, perfectly good lives yeah. and they're good people. I'm not saying you have to be a Christian in order to be a good person mm-hmm. or anything like that, but as we talked about with our Dark Knight episode, you don't have to be. There's nothing requiring you to be. If you want to be, it's because you chose to be and that's all well and good, but I don't know, like... There has to be like a, a challenge, I think, a challenge that says, yes, this is what you are, but you can be more. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I kind of lost my, my train of thought and I, I might cut that. I might cut this out, but um, <laughs> <laughs> eh, that might take too long. But uh, but yeah. And so I don't want to give the impression, uh, as you said, I don't want to give the impression to our non-Christian listeners that I think you, the life you're living is worthless or it's hopeless or anything like that. What I'm saying is, uh, or meaningless. I'm sure you have meaning in your yeah, life, totally. but what I what I do think is that God provides tremendous meaning, mm-hmm. uh, believing that there is somebody who created not merely life, not merely humans, but you. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the sheer number of meaning, like the, not the sheer amount of meaning? that will come if you believe that the guy, and we talked about this with our tree of life episode, that the, the being that created the universe that, you know, these amazing things has a vet, had a vested interest in creating you mm-hmm. like that is transformative and that he, t- not in just creating you, but engaging with you. Yeah. He is still actively involved in your life. Yeah. As much as you will let him be. Exactly. And so like, I just, uh, that is what we're talking about when we're talking about a transformative experience. Like if you really, I want you to really think about what that would mean. And this goes, and this goes for Christians as well. I mean, that's the thing is my faith is pretty casual a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's to a certain extent at times it has to be, because if you're thinking about the enormity of God all the time, like, all right, I still need to go. (laughs) You might not get anything done. I still need to go to the store. But, um, (laughs) but yeah, like just really think about, how big God is, but how small he chooses to be in order to engage with you. Like that is, it's incredibly humbling, but it should also be incredibly inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, uh, I know we didn't, we didn't talk much about the uh, companion film as just aside from just another example mm-hmm. of this, but thankfully it's an example that everybody has seen. Yeah. So, you know, imagine the, the scene and the music and the triumph that happens when beast who incidentally has been stabbed by Gast- Gaston in the side. It should be noted. Um, Ooh. yeah. Uh, and he is basically dead. And then bell says, I love you. And then you just see him getting raised up mm-hmm. and just, you know, swirls around and becomes a human, a living human, a new person. And, and obviously his name's not going to be beast anymore. He has mm-hmm. a, he has a different name just as R has a different name. And when he says, 
I don't want to know my name from before. He and I don't want my life from before. Obviously, he's not talking merely about being a zombie. <laughs> Nobody wants that life. Yeah. Um, he's talking about who he was before. That right. doesn't matter. Who he is now with her, a new creation. That's what he wants to be. Yeah. Um, and I think that is where we will leave it because we've got uh, things to do. <laughs> so, um, all right. Uh, by the way, it did occur to me. Um, we said that this would this episode would be posting on the twenty second. That may or may not be true because the computer that I use to post this episode and uh, and uh, that I have all the software with which to post episodes is uh, in the shop right now. And Ooh. so uh, this might be going up uh, Wednesday or Thursday. So I apologize um, for whenever uh, you're hearing this. So um, okay. And also, just a heads up, next week, if you want to be ready, next week, we will be talking about William Friedkin's The Exorcist. So, that should be a whole lot of fun to talk about. We'll Um, see. We'll see. We sure will. Um, okay. So, um, you can find us at morethanonelesson.com. You can email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com, or Josh, Josh, at morethanonelesson.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at more lessons you can follow josh at the josh long at the josh long uh thank you everybody for uh, listening to this episode it wound it wound up being uh more in depth than i thought it was going to be and uh we would certainly welcome your feedback uh and so in the meantime thank you for listening josh thanks for being here you're welcome and we'll get you next time bye <laughs>